Welcome to the Bigger Truth in Tech podcast, where we discuss the latest trends in IT. I'm your host, Scott Sinclair, Senior Analyst with ESG, and we have a great conversation lined up today. As we continue our series on containers, I'm joined by Dormain Drewitz with VMware. And, and, you know, this is a really a big get for us here at this podcast. Uh, Dormain, you're pretty famous. Uh, you have your own blog series. You, you have your own podcast. Uh, Tanzu Talk, you've been in, you, I think you're in the VMware commercial. Um, really excited. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I, what's funny is I think the only people who have told me you're famous are the people who already know me. So <laughs> I don't know what that proves. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been kind of fun in the last uh, month or so as now I'm popping up on on national TV. Apparently a lot of people are just, you know, spitting out their coffee at the screen being like, wait, I know her. Um, but again, it's only like the, like three dozen people that I know. So it's, it's, it's quality, not quantity. I think that's, that's the key is, you know, as long as it's, it's the right people that know, know how famous you truly are. Well, I'm really glad that we're having a chance to have this conversation because one of the things that, you know, we've talked a couple of times and you brought up an idea that has really just stuck in my head. Uh, you had a phrase that said, you know, building a successful developer engagement from, from an IT ops standpoint or from an organizational standpoint is more than just Kubernetes. And that has always stuck with me because I, I see, I see especially around the IT community, especially around the IT vendor community, this idea that, oh, no, we support Kubernetes, we're good, check. I've checked that box. Right. Um, so I, I'd love to get your thoughts on, okay, when you think at a high level, what do you think of when you think of a, a building a successful developer engagement uh, strategy? Yeah, I think there's, um, and here's what I'll admit, I'm a child of the 80s. Um, and so growing up, the Saturday morning cartoons or whichever day of the week you're watching cartoons, they, they always have those, the serial commercials. And at the end of the serial commercial, they flash the, the, the scene that has the milk and the juice and the whole wheat toast. And I don't know, maybe like a side of ham or bake. And, and they're like part of this complete breakfast, right? They just like spit it out at the end. And then you realize that like, okay, this, the lucky charms or whatever are, you know, that's what the whole ad's been about, but uh, they have to admit that like, really there's actually a lot more that you need for a, for a balanced breakfast. Um, and it's kind of like that with Kubernetes, if it's not, paired with, um, there are other technologies that are part of the, the complete breakfast, if you will, but there's also probably changes to your, your team structure and how those teams are engaging with each other. And those engagement models tend to be manifested in process, right? So your, your classic people process and technology vectors that you always have to look at they're, they're all part of this complete breakfast, right? For your, your developer engagement strategy. Um, and Kubernetes is awesome um, and containers are very powerful, but if you're just gonna treat them like little VMs, you're not really changing anything. And so you have to be willing to kind of revisit some of the other models around it. Uh, so that's kind of really what I meant by Kubernetes alone is not a developer engagement strategy. I love that analogy and I, I so want to unpack it. I want to figure out, okay, is Kubernetes Fruit Loops? Is it Captain Crunch? What are the marshmallows? 
how does that come in? But as I as I keep thinking through it, you know, often in those commercials, because I, I, I too um, enjoyed uh, Saturday morning cartoons in my day, those commercials were when they talked about the complete balanced breakfast, often the completeness came from the glass of milk. It came from the orange juice. It came from the toast. That you know the 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 Fruit Loops itself, as much as I love Fruit Loops, um, you know, often provided a little bit of the sugar. Um, so you know, it is those those other elements. And you talked about processes. Um, I, I I'd love for you to kind of walk through and give me. I don't know. Do you have some really nice examples where organizations have built on maybe expanded the, in these process areas where you've seen a, a need for change from maybe the traditional VM focus structure or, or some ways for people to think about how should, you know, when they think about, well, and we can focus on processes, on how processes should evolve as they start to better engage with developers. Yeah, I mean, if you just start with, okay, day in the life of a developer, if they're starting a new project, how do they get started? What does that look like? What systems do they need to have access to? Do they have to file a ticket to have access to um, infrastructure resources just to have kind of a dev environment to play around with? I mean, they've built something probably on their laptop. Now they're ready to test it um, a little bit further. What is What does that look like? Um, do your infrastructure teams or teams that are meant to be supporting developers responsible for that developer experience and engagement strategy, do they even know what that experience is like today? How long do they have to wait? You know, this is one thing where I, I like to uh, remember and, and remind folks that developing software and being a developer, it's actually, it's a creative position. It's uh, folks kind of like to use the sort of, oh, you know, it's like, uh, like what you see on Silicon Valley on HBO or something, but um, you're creating something. And if you've got an idea and you're ready to just run with it, but then you have to wait, right? It's like the artist who they've got an idea and you're like, yeah, put in a ticket request and we'll see if we have any paper for you to like write it down, draw it out, sketch it out. You know, how do you make sure that developers have access to those resources quickly so that they can run with those ideas when they're ready? Um, so that's kind of, like looking at that provisioning process. And, and I've seen organizations where because the process had kind of built up and calcified in order to make sure, well, we got to make sure that we've put in all the right licensed software and uh, security checks. And we want to make sure that they don't use too much. So we actually need a business case. You know, if you have to have all of those things before you're even able to get started, you're never going to get a lot of ideas on the board. And so how do you free up that whole process and make it really fluid? This is where I've seen a lot of teams embrace the, the notion of an internal platform that's really developer centric so that um, developers, instead of kind of what's happened in the last 20 years is developers have run into so much friction with internal systems and having to wait and they're losing that idea then they go around it. They've gone out to uh, you know, a public cloud and they've just used their personal credit card just to be able to do something. And then we kind of run into issues of well, what happens you know, when we need to take this into production. Or even in, you know, before the cloud, it was there's that, that server sitting under a developer's desk. Um, and before you know it, you're like, actually that's running production somehow. We don't know how it got there. 
Um, so, you know, going around it and like that, that's, a, that's a result of too much friction somewhere else. So if we can expose an internal platform that's actually fast and responsive to what developers are trying to do, then they don't have to go around, right? And what does that look like? Uh, how do you how do you bake in all of those other requirements, but in a, a way that's very seamless for developers? So sure, they're getting an environment that's right-sized and it's not gonna be too much that's too expensive on the infrastructure side. It's got security uh, controls kind of built in so that you know it's not at risk of exposing uh, access to uh, outside parties or other teams that don't need to have access. Um, all of those things can be pre-wired so the developers don't have to think about it, but it's also still very easy for them to get access to those systems. Just even building those types of platforms, that is a, that's a job in itself. That's a team that's usually taken on that charter, and they're often not the infrastructure team. They're not a development team. They're a platform team, and they're what you might think of as kind of your DevOps professionals. Uh, but they are focused on building that experience. Uh, and so their job is partly to build that platform and partly to engage those developers to continue to understand, okay, where are you getting stuck? Okay, it's monitoring, right? Like how do we pre-wire the monitoring in so that um, as soon as there's a problem, developers already have access to logs and uh, metrics about what's happening to their application. Um, and it's not something like, oh, shoot, I forgot to add some endpoints and, you know, request monitoring. And now this thing is broken. I've got to go back and start from scratch. I can't recreate the problem and I can't go back and, you know, look through the logs. Great. I'm kind of stuck. I can't improve this, right? All of these things that kind of get in the way, that can be built into the experience. Yeah, it's, listening to you talk, it reminds me. So we did, we did a study at ESG and it was a little bit ago where we looked at uh, developers and line of business uh, executives. And we said, you know, what do you, how do you feel about your IT team? In that study, about one in four said, yeah, IT is a business inhibitor. Mm -hmm. And very well, single digits said they were actually a competitive differentiator. And what was really interesting is when we unpacked it, we said, why? It, it hit on, I, I think, a couple of things that you said, which was really around that speed of execution. And what's, what's fascinating, you know, I talk to IT executives, I talk, talk to architects, IT op operations folks all the time. And for years, and still to this day, in many organizations, they see job one as um, availability of services, right. ensuring data protection, ensuring data resiliency. And speed doesn't come in there. So it, part of this, what, what's, what I find really fascinating in these conversations, when I'm having with, with you know, IT organizations is the business has evolved often. And as developers come up, they're being judged often by a metric that they didn't really know they were being judged by in some cases. And it's very, very difficult as, you know, as someone as a professional that has been focused very much on, we need to ensure, you know, everything is, you know, kind of this conservative mindset of, we have to make sure the data is secure. We have to make sure everything's protected. We have to rethink and make sure everything stays available and break out of that mindset and say, no, we need to do things very quickly. So it's, it, it almost fuels that need of not only do you need these new processes, but you also need an influx of 
maybe additional people or new people into to, to help take on these new tasks. You almost need different personalities or different goals within the teams. But maybe I'm maybe I'm going a bridge too far. Does that does that make sense? This train of thought, or what? It, what have you seen work, and what have you seen that maybe doesn't work? Yeah, I, you you made me think of a, a couple of different points, but you're spot on that goals matter, right? And so if an infrastructure team is gold on availability, resiliency, uh, security, right? That's what they're gonna be focused on. If they're not gold on, you know, how quickly can I respond to developer and business line of business requests and requirements, they have no incentive to really optimize for that. So revisiting those goals is absolutely part of how you transform what the teams are doing. Um, you also mentioned kind of taking a survey, like, you know, give it, having a developer survey. And it reminds me of um, a customer we were working with who they, uh, and they, they do online uh, ticket sales and they start that platform team, you know, was kind of, there were still some uh, folks who didn't quite get the idea of like what they were doing. They're still trying to get off the ground. So they put out a net promoter score survey. If you've ever seen those, that's where it's a zero to 10 and really kind of asking like, would you recommend this to someone else? And they, they realized like, oh, wow. It was a wake up call moment for them because they saw how low their MPS score was. And they were able to use, I think like some of the comments or something and start to have a couple of concrete ideas of what they could take on and focus on fixing. And then they came back some months later and they ran that MPS score, that, that survey again, to see how their score had moved. So this was something, that was a, a process um, and just a, a tactic and a technique, but it really helped align the team around, okay, we, we know we need this to move up. And when we, we have this score and this metric that we can use, we can dig into why it's low and we can try some things and see how that how our, our constituents are responding to that. So that's, um, that's one thing that, uh, that you kind of made me, reminded me of. The other thing is one of my, my favorite quotes from, from Adrian Cocroft, and he was presenting at, a, at an event and he talked about if you, if you wanna see things go out faster, you know, um, find out how many tickets and meetings it takes to get that thing done publish the number and make it go down. It's the same idea where, you know, you can't really make progress without baselining, where are we today? And so if the, if the goal is we wanna ship software faster, we wanna be able to ship features and updates to the software that we're building. Um, and that might be software that's right in the critical path of revenue, right? If it's an e-commerce or something that's supporting sales and transactions, we know we need to be able to uh, move this faster or, or T-Mobile, right? When several years ago, they started the, um, as part of their uncarrier movement, which is just so, so awesome. Um, and a great way that they've just aligned their whole company. Uh, they started those T-Mobile Tuesdays where they would have these really goofy offers. And if you switched to T-Mobile on that particular Tuesday, you'd get, and you know, it was like, here's a, here's a pizza, here's a year worth of Netflix. And, every week it was changing. Well, in order to process that 
and make sure that you actually can update your billing system every week so that every time those customers, you can track, no, those customers signed up on that Tuesday, they're, they are entitled to this particular benefit. That requires actually a lot of agility. And so they've been on this really interesting transformation on the technical side in order to do that, going from, you know, uh, we worked with them on a big job, a monolith that was taking seven months and 72 steps to update and to change. And so this kind of comes back to that notion, figure out how many meetings it takes and tickets, right? 72 steps to make a change to a piece of software, uh, which adds up to seven months. It's really hard to keep up with T-Mobile Tuesdays if it's taking seven months to change things. So publishing that number, to me, that's a proxy for, you gotta get people aligned, right? You have to broadcast to all the different stakeholders and team members so that they understand this is our goal now. This is the thing we're trying to do. And then together you can make it go down. You keep measuring coming back. Did we make it go down? Did we get that faster? Um, so, you know, in T-Mobile's case, they were, they got to the point where, you know, they rewrote that application in spring um, and they started running it on our platform and they, they were making updates, same day bug fixes with no downtime. Um, and then they just accelerated from there. And another story I really liked was from the, the healthcare services uh, corporation teams. They do the Blue Cross Blue Shield and uh, I think five different states based out of Illinois. And they got to the point where when they had a release, they had a little um, flashing light kind of siren go off. So this to me was, you know, in that publish the number, get everybody on board they actually put a little, you know, woo, woo, like the, the bell you ring when you make a sale. If you've ever seen those old kind of Wall Street movies, it's like, have that bell, you know, celebrate those moments. Um, that sort of helps get, get people aligned, but, you know, measure that, measure what it is, you know, an MPS score, your developers loving or hating your platform. How long does it take? How many steps does it take to get something done? And then focus on moving the needle on that. You know, and especially that idea of measuring it, you know, and I'm going to, there was a quote sometime and I'm going to completely ruin it because I can't remember it exactly, but it's something, it's basically saying, look, you can't fix anything if you can't measure it, you know, if you can't, you know, and so understand, so putting together and identifying your goal and then as a business, as an organization and figuring out, okay, how do you accurately measure where you are today? And then how do you execute on taking steps? To fix that. And I think the other thing that you brought up, which is, is so brilliant and so critical, is just how, how you communicate the measurement and the goal in order to get the entire culture around. I think something that when I started my career in technology, I think something that I've really grown to understand is the importance of culture and the importance of building a team where people truly understand, okay, this is our priority and we're all working together to move in the same direction. And how difficult that is sometimes. Communication, measuring and setting goals are difficult activities and putting in the right processes. And you might've actually already answered this question, but my next thing was gonna be, you know, as, as you think about some of these examples, if you are an organization and you are in this world where you're spinning up some application development, you are, you know, 
starting down that path of whatever you call digital transformation nowadays, but essentially using technology to go win more business. And you're starting to spin up new development teams. Um, as an IT leader, where are some things that you, you know, where have you seen people, where do you recommend they start? I mean, you, you've brought up doing internal surveys, but are there other areas or advice for people that are really starting out that they should, you know, to investigate just to see where they are, understand their own capabilities? Yeah, and I think what you're what you're getting at is actually something where I think a lot of folks have have failed, um, and that's where they take this boil the ocean approach, and they want to do the like we're going to survey all the things we're going to get a we're going to get a baseline of all our applications, and then do a big assessment, and then figure out what we're going to do with all of these things, and there's the traditional approach that folks have taken for that has often become like a project in and of itself that's, you know, 12, 18 months go by just trying to get like, what is the current state so that we can make the appropriate recommendations and things are have changed by the time you get on the other side of it, not just your own landscape and your own uh, a portfolio of applications, but the markets change, right? What competitors are doing. So not, you know, taking too much time to kind of try to come up with the big master plan can be sort of counterproductive. So um, the approach we actually use with customers, we, we have this, this thing called an app navigator. It's about a four week engagement. And so that's kind of our, if you're gonna, if you're trying to build a plan, do it fast, just get kind of the quick and dirty plan together, drive out a couple of key actionable steps to take next, right? So don't get mired in boiling the ocean, um, then, then pick something and do that thing and use that as an opportunity to learn. So, you know, when uh, talking to Comcast who over the years has done a lot of work with the Tanzu application service, and one of the things that uh, Greg Otto, their executive director for their cloud platform team had said a couple of years ago that really stood out to me was, he said, you know, as we look back, the things we did right in the early days, right? That's a, a great question I like to ask people is like, what would you do differently? And what would you do exactly the same way? Um, and he, he talked about, hey, we, we took on some really important backend services and we modernized those. And that allowed so much other stuff to happen faster. We learned a ton, but we didn't go after some tiny application that doesn't get any you know, real traffic or doesn't have any real meaning. We, we went after three services that took like 40% of our, our network traffic. Um, and those are the ones that we, we tackled and we fixed them. Um, and so, but this idea of, picking something um, comes back again and again. You know, this reminds me also of the, the US Air Force where um, it was, a, they, they actually did some really interesting work from an organizational perspective that I think uh, gets at a, another key point. I'm gonna come back to that if, you, if there's still time. But they started with an application that was just for figuring out where the tankers go in order to refuel jets, right? Jets go real fast and they burn a lot of fuel in the process. So um, 
this was a very manual process with this giant whiteboard. Apparently Eric Schmidt um, was on some, some board and walking through and was like, what the heck is this? Um, and so, you know, they, they tackled that particular problem. Um, apparently folks had tried to build that software before and just the whole way that the, the Department of Defense goes about, had been going about building software, just there were a lot of broken things. Um, and it was really kind of designed for, this is a great process for building tanks, not necessarily a great process for building software. And so they actually engaged, they work with uh, Tanzu Labs, they engaged folks who actually did that job. So they, they understood what the requirements and, and what it actually means to do this on a day-to-day -day basis and they built that piece of software. And then from there, they, they had so many learnings and so many kind of aha moments and they, they figured out how to work through all the sort of challenges of, okay, do we have all the security in, in place um, that their platform team was able to go and, and start to build out, okay, how do we, how do we have uh, a waterline that we can raise for many, many applications? but we started with something specific. So I think that, you know, whether it's a new leader or, or someone who's already there, the idea of don't boil the ocean, pick something and fix it. And, and think about pick, picking something that's gonna be meaningful um, and not just some kind of little uh, seemingly low risk side thing, because if it's low risk, you maybe haven't learned enough from that. And you also haven't proven to other people that you can do something important. Um, and so you kind of don't build the same momentum as when you take down some gnarly, you know, backend service or application. And I'm from California, so I'm allowed to use words like gnarly in a professional setting. I have, I have like a driver's license. It's, it's California. I, I think it's important. I think we need more words like gnarly just to join the vernacular. Uh, I mean, it's it's important and it's it, it also works in that situation. You know, I, I, and, and I, I love that focus because at the end of the day, or you're exactly right. And I've been in situations where, okay, we're gonna solve it. And then we start some committee and then they come back a year later. And not only is the problem completely different, but um, the world has changed. And one of the big things that we see in our research at ESG is all about agility and the need to move quickly. And I, I, I just love this approach of find that project that is bit, that causes enough pain to where you can make a meaningful impact, but where you can actually get it done quickly yeah. and focus. And I, I think finding that right target is, is a great thing. And, and you know, kind of as we wrap up here, and that goes to kind of my last question, you know, I call this the bigger truth in tech because I'm all about trying to find those insights that IT leaders can take away. And we've hit on a bunch of them. And honestly, it's probably about five or six that we've actually hit on. But if there's one kind of elevator pitch, you know, just one key takeaway that people listening to this should think about as they go and help build these uh, developer engagement strategies, what would you recommend? Like one really big thing is if you want to have a developer engagement strategy, you have to make it someone's job. So you have to actually have a team with that charter and that they are able to focus on that. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big team, but 
carving that out to allow that team to be able to focus on that makes a huge difference because if they're still, you know, doing some other job and it's a part-time thing, uh, it's really easy for all of the organizational inertia to just carry them in the same direction you're already going. Makes so much sense. I, I'm a huge believer in that. If it's, if, if it's part of many people's jobs, then it's no one's job. So right. absolutely agree. Dormain, this has been brilliant. I, I do appreciate your time because I, I, I know you're swamped. Uh, if people want to you know, follow you on your blog or anything, where, where can people learn more about some of the stuff you're doing? Yeah. Um, and thank you. It's been, it's been really fun to, to catch up and chat. So thanks for having me on Scott. Um, and yeah, I'm on Twitter, Dormain Drewitz. Um, and I don't know if there's any other domains on Twitter or anywhere, but, um, you can find me there and, uh, tanzu.vmware.com slash blog. Uh, I'll, I, I have posts there as well as uh, great stuff from many of my colleagues. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about uh, our research and things that we're looking at at ESG, uh, check out all of, our, all of our content on esg-global.com. Again, my name is Scott Sinclair. If you want to reach out on Twitter, I'm at Scott underscore Sin, at S-C-O-T-T underscore S-I-N on Twitter. And this has been great. Thank you so much. And we're out. Thanks again.